no one is going to do it by themselves. It's always a team effort. And the more people you can enlist onto your team, the better and more successful you're going to be. That's the voice of Connor Coughlin, co-owner of Hook Home and A5 Studio. And I'm excited to talk with him and his co-owner, Brian Chu, right after a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Jobber. Jobber is software to organize and manage your business. From quoting a project to getting paid to everything in between, Jobber software brings everything together to make projects easy to manage and customers happy, giving you more time in your day and getting you paid faster. Go to getjobber.com Ethan or check out the link in the show notes for a free 14-day trial of Jobber. And if you try it now, you get 20% off your first six months when you sign up. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Connor Coughlin and Brian Chu, owners of the Brooklyn, New York-based furniture company Hook Home and A5 Studio. Running one successful furniture business is hard. I mean, really hard. But running two? Come on. Yet, that's just what Brian and Connor are doing. Their fabrication studio, A5, has been turning out custom creations for years now. With 10 plus employees, an impressive client list, and an even more impressive portfolio of builds. They also have their other company, Hook Home, a flat pack, no tool assembly, sustainable furniture line, which has burst onto the scene in a big way. Follow along as we talk about how they started both of their businesses, how they deal with sourcing, employees, and growth, why being authentic is a company's best foundation, and much more. Both of them have an impressive journey getting into the furniture industry. So let's get into it and hear their story in their own words. Brian and I both come from an architecture background. So we met in, in grad school doing a master's in architecture. And so that was, you know, we were both like very creatively oriented. Brian was always into, you know, metalwork and fabrication was the TA and in the metal shop. And he kind of got me into making things physically. Before that, we were just focused on, you know, architecture, drawings, digital models, all that kind of stuff. And then uh, I kind of caught the bug when we, um, we both took a furniture class in grad school. That's where, you know, uh, my furniture journey kind of began. I'm not sure like where yours, mm-hmm. uh, it was probably earlier than me, right? Yeah, as Connor was saying, when I went to undergrad at Pratt studying architecture, I worked at all the different types of shops, the 3D printing shop, the laser shop, wood shop, metal shop. So I was always involved in kind of the the fabrication aspect of things, but it was never really about the the furniture, I guess. Um, It was just always about making something. And then in grad school, we started to develop, I guess, our own style of design. Connor and I, we worked together on various studio projects, competitions and things like that. So we're always down in the shop making things. And like Connor was saying, we took a class um, at MIT, a furniture course. And as a lot of designers probably know, most of the iconic chairs are actually designed by architects. So. Uh, when we did take that furniture course, uh, we kind of got into um, a little bit more of the furniture side of it as well. So I think it kind of started both at the same time uh, during that course, for sure. Yeah, 
yeah, that, that course was, was crazy because uh, they had all the incredible machinery that you would expect uh, at a institute like MIT, you know, amazing CNC machines and the wood shop was, was pretty stacked and metal shop was amazing. And it was different to where we, we both studied architecture at the Harvard Graduate School of Design, which is, you know, amazing school. But down in the fab shop, I think there was a lot of red tape and, you know, you had to <laughs> jump a lot of hurdles to, to do anything. But uh, at this furniture course that we kind of took, we cross-registered uh, over at MIT. It was like the workshop of a mad scientist. You could do anything, you know, uh, they, they really didn't put much uh, control over you. So it was, it was a time for us to experiment with materials and different machines that we'd never use. And it just kind of opened up that world for us. It was so exciting, you know. And, and then kind of after that, um, we both went to work in architecture firms in New York. And I remember getting a text. Uh, I, I was kind of like making some furniture on the side and making YouTube videos about it. So people knew that I was, you know, an amateur woodworker, designer. And uh, I remember getting a text one day in my office saying like, hey, can, can you build this reception desk for a building in, in the city? And, you know, I was busy at work and I was about to text back no. Um, and I was like, you know what, let's, let's just do this. I'll, I'll call Brian and we can like make it after hours after work. And that's kind of like where things really started for us. We, we made this reception desk in Bushwick in, uh, in a tiny little workshop out there, you know, in the middle of the night after we'd finished work, we would go there every evening and, and make this desk. And then, you know, things started to grow from there. We started to get more texts for jobs and things kind of grew gradually until we kind of got to the point where we got this big outdoor furniture job and I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta quit my real job to like make this happen. And then so we both decided to kind of make the leap and, and jump into fabrication full time. It wasn't furniture necessarily at the time, it was more custom one-off builds, but that, that's where we, we took the leap from nine to five architecture jobs into our own kind of entrepreneurial fabrication side of things. That shop, the MIT, workshop that you guys started out at it yeah. it must have been kids in a candy store with all the things that you could play with and that is a really exciting place for you to have started at because you could just let your imagination run wild and i i can definitely see where you would have got interested in furniture from a shop like that yeah, it was it was amazing. And, you know, as I was kind of mentioning before, uh, they were so free with uh, probably a little too free with the rules about what we could do. But, you know, we both learned uh, really how to use the CNC machines there. We learned how to bend woods, you know, all of these things that we weren't really exposed to before. And, you know, Chris Stewart, the 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 teacher in that in that class, he had worked with incredible furniture makers in the past so yeah it was just like a melting pot of of uh, activity and experiments and after a year of that or at least the semester of that like there was no way we were it, you just caught the bug you know exactly there was no there was no turning back once uh yeah, once exactly. you got your hands on that now this interview we could be talking about the custom furniture company that you started that you have both been successful at you do large and small custom work for clients all over the city, all over the country. And But what I really want to talk about is what you're doing now and your new company that 
branched out from that because that I think even though you still love doing the custom stuff, this new company of yours is really where where your passion is at the moment. So let's let's talk about that. Can you give us some overview of what your new company is all about and how it came into the world? As you mentioned, we have the A5 Studio, which is a custom design and build firm, which we started about five years ago. And we've been super lucky with the clients and the jobs that, that have come our way over the years. But then during the pandemic, of course, you know, we probably had 10 jobs going on at the time and nine of them stopped. And we had we had like 10 employees and one job left. So it was a very like trying time for a young business. And I think, you know, both Brian and I were super interested in furniture and, and making a home furnishing line is something that we always wanted to do. And all of a sudden, you know, we, we have a lot of free time on our hands and a very expensive workshop and, you know, employees and people at the ready to do work. So we're like, okay, let's, let's kind of shift our focus on to like seeing what we can create in the next couple of months, seeing as, you know, this is a very rare opportunity that we're presented with. And so we started playing around with, um, you know, this idea of a flexible joint and the reason we were really doing that is because there was such a big shift with people to working from home. So a lot of our friends were struggling with space at home. Uh, you know, we're living in New York, tiny apartments. And, uh, you know, even just assembling furniture ourselves from Ikea, it's like, it's crazy how difficult um, it, it was. So we really wanted to start the whole design process with the idea that maybe this is more of a system that we can develop where you know assembling furniture can be easier and this system kind of developed to be suitable for you know metropolitan living smaller apartments easy assembly so that's kind of the what we started off thinking about and and how we started developing this hook system that we that we've got going now being able to pivot your business when you have a low time when you have something that's not working and recognizing that and not doubling down with something that's not working or in your case it wasn't not working the business was just not there for reasons out of your control yeah. but but being able to to make that pivot is so important being self-aware of where your business sits in the bigger picture and being able to adapt to the the needs of the environment or what the environment is showing is such a is such an important important business model to yeah. to be running through. I think like every entrepreneur that that um, well, I think every entrepreneur will know that you know you have to be able to adapt. Like there's a great quote by by Darwin, which you pretty much already said. It's not the the strongest of the species that survive it's the ones that are most adaptable to change and we were in that opportunity and we didn't have any other choice you know as you said you could double down but then you're probably going to go out of business so we kind of put our efforts and focus on something else we had no idea if it was going to be successful or not but we just had to try because this looked like it would be a potentially interesting area for us to go into but yeah for sure to your point like any small business or entrepreneur, they have to be willing to pivot and, and go with the opportunities that are presented to them. The idea of furniture is this big umbrella term. And, and somebody says, I'm a furniture maker. And, and people have 
their own idea in their head, but that could mean so many different things. And you went from doing large custom one-off furniture for different clients to making an assembly line of pieces. You went from custom, which is everything under the sun, to a very specific product that you're putting out. How did you transition from that, not only mentally with how you're thinking about what you're doing day to day, but also with your employees changing changing the whole tone of the shop? So I think for us, even though we do, you know, our bread and butter is really custom work, we wanted to come up with a product that was the most accessible to as many people as possible. And what we tried to do at first was find a problem that we could solve that was within the furniture industry. And what we found was that even IKEA, who advertises themselves as cheap, easy to put together furniture, is actually not that easy to put together. Like they even have uh, at the end of the checkout where you can go and you can sign up for someone to come over to your house to assemble the furniture. And it's like $100 or something like that, which is pretty crazy for uh, a company that advertises themselves as easy to put together that you have to hire someone and pay them money um, to come to your house and assemble it. And also we were thinking during COVID times, you don't want strangers in your house. You don't know where they've been. So it was kind of like an easy answer for us to try to make a system that you didn't need any tools, any hardware, or you can put it together in seconds um, because not everyone can read a set of instructions as easy as they may think it is. So what we were trying to do was make, make something that was truly accessible for as many people as possible. Kind of to your original question, a custom fabrication company that builds very complex one-off pieces to a company that produces en masse repeatable furniture product. And the lessons that we learned or that we have, we continue to learn with A5 is we, we've used so many materials and have been put in so many situations where we have to figure out how things go together. And so we had this wealth of knowledge in terms of fabrication and assembly and materials that we were able to put into this new furniture product. So the furniture product to the consumer is very simple and easy, but the complexity behind it in the design and the fabrication is basically the culmination mm -hmm. of four or five years of lessons that we'd learned in the custom design build world. And we tried to put as much uh, knowledge into this product as possible. I'm, we're continuing to develop it. We've, we've got feedback now from the last six months to a year of, of people using the product and continue to iterate and develop and make it better. And to have the shop here and the talented team uh, that we do have, it's really exciting to see what we can do and how quick we can do it because the feed, feedback loop is so fast, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, a, it's definitely an exciting place to be. Those products that have so much going on behind the scenes, but the end user has no idea and it's just click and done are such exciting, interesting products to look into because so much work has gone into something to make it so simple. And there are designs that 
look simple and are simple, but the more interesting designs are the ones that put so much work behind the scenes to make something look so simple. Yeah. And I, the, you know, that's something that we've, we uh, have done here in the shop o- over the past year is continually look at the product again. So the joint system we've done hundreds and hundreds of iterations, you know, down to like a hundredth of an inch just to make it click in better and, you know, make it disassemble more easily. And we continue to do that. And so, yeah, you're right. When you look at the product and you click it together, you're like, oh, like, why has no one done that before? (laughs) But it's actually super difficult to get it to that level of where the end user can can use it so easily. And still, we're so critical of the product. You know, we spent all weekend at ICFF and it was fantastic to see the, you know, the response from all the people there. Uh, so excited to use the furniture. But you, when you see two, three hundred people come over and use it and click it together, you start to notice very quickly little areas that you can improve upon. And, you know, we, we, we hope to continue doing that and continue to develop the furniture more and more as we go along. And I think the only way that that's possible is because we have such, like Connor was saying, a, a talented team here. Uh, but as well as the equipment, everything is manufactured and produced here at our shop in Red Hook. So we have all the CNC machines and the wood wood shop machines, sanders and things like that. So the prototyping phase, the design phase is a lot quicker than trying to you know outsource pieces, outsource parts, waiting for them to produce it, dealing with another shop to cut pieces or or whatever. Our feedback loop is instant. You know, we can go from sketch to model to CNC cutting in a couple of hours and iterate and iterate hundreds of times, like Connor was saying, within a very, very short period. So the development phase between design and actual production is is pretty efficient due to all of the kind of uh, support structure that we have here. Being able to rapid prototype like that, being able to get customer feedback, getting your own feedback and being able to change things is really, really important for a company that is trying to bring their ideas to market in a way that the consumer will enjoy using it. But like you said, people are looking at it and they're saying, this clicks in so easily, why why hasn't anyone else thought of this? Why isn't this something that other companies are doing? And so being first to the market with something is great, but you also have to know that there are going to be people who, if you are successful, are going to try and ride those coattails. So Mm -hmm. there's people listening out there who have ideas for their own products. They have ideas for things that they think nobody has thought of, but they're afraid to bring it to market because once it's out in the public eye, they lose the originality of it because anyone else can can try and copy it. So what have you been putting in place as this has been going to make sure that you continue to stay the market leader in, in this in this type of furniture? Well, that's a good question. And it's something like we've been thinking about for years the idea of you have an original quote-unquote original idea and you know like do I put it out there do I not in my experience I still don't know the answer to that but I've always found that 
particularly within like the maker community that if you are sharing what you're doing and, and like putting it out, you know, into the world for feedback that it, it, in my experience, it always proves more beneficial than, than hiding it away. Having said that, we patented the hook system, the joint and, and the chassis. And now does that stop a, a large multinational company from ripping it off and, you know, <laughs> crushing our business? Probably not, but it's like a layer of protection that might be useful uh, at some point in the future. But I think, you know, even with uh, some of my chair designs in the past, I, I made the decision to put it out into the world and get people's feedback and share what I was learning in the process. And I always feel that that comes back tenfold uh, rather than, you know, people trying to steal your idea. They more often than not will help you and improve it. And you can continue to, to grow and develop those ideas. So we, we try to share as much as possible, but we're also a business and, and need to protect our IP. And so we, we have gone ahead and, and patented those systems. You're excited about what you made and you want to put it out there and you need to put it out there because that's the way you make money from it. It's great exactly. to have it's it's great to have ideas and you can say this is the best idea I've ever had. But if you want to make money from it, you have to put it out there. And it's a scary thing putting putting ideas out there and making them into reality. But nobody's made a living by by designing furniture in their head and not sharing it yeah no exactly also like having gone through the process of creating the the system and this idea and then developing it you understand that the initial idea where like we knew the second that we were making this system like pretty early on we're like oh we're onto something real good here like this is this is extremely useful, it's aesthetic, it's like enjoyable to use, this is a no-brainer. But the more and more we go down, like creating this business and developing the product, you realize how small a percentage that initial idea is in the grand scheme of things. Like what really comes into play then is all of the teamwork after that and the development of the idea and the development of the business and how do you manufacture this and how do you get the name out there and market it and, that's like where you create real success and you need help from as many people as possible. You need teams and support structures in place to do that. And if you hide your ideas away, then it's very unlikely that those ideas are ever gonna really flower into like the, the potential or in, into the real products that they, they could be. Let's talk about how you're actually making these pieces because ideas and thoughts and designs are all well and good, but you actually have to make them. And a big part of making pieces that are a collection of things that are not one of a kind are an assembly line of pieces is sourcing and being able to source the materials that you're using properly. Because with custom stuff, you have a new project every single time. So you can figure it out as you're going. But when you need to replicate something one, two, 100, 200, 300 times, you need to really have that dialed in. And I know that this is your business and I'm not asking you to give away all of your, 
your secrets for your sourcing and, and things like that, because we all understand that this is your business. But let's talk a little bit about sourcing and the lessons you've learned throughout your sourcing process to be able to get it to a point where you can replicate the same thing over and over and over again successfully? Well, um, it's actually very, very difficult, yeah. especially, especially during these times where supply for everything is uh, really hard to come by. Logistics, um, you know, we're, we're using materials that are manufactured all over the world. And during the current state of things, it, yeah, it does not make it easy for sure. And um, Connor can, can speak to the actual difficulties of, of trying to source everything. It's funny, right? Because like we, we created this uh, business, this furniture brand, and like, you know, it's a passion project. We never, we never for a second thought it would be as successful as it's been. It's just something we love doing and we'll put it out there and see what happens. But all of a sudden people in the furniture industry are talking about it. It's a cool product. And so we're like, great, like this is really taken off. And then we're presented with a problem that we never really thought that we would have. And we're like running out of material, a, a scenario which you never thought you'd be in. You think you would never make a successful brand, but you actually have a, you, you create this name and you create something that people are interested in. And then all of a sudden you can't make it. So that was like a, a, an unusual position for us to be in. But I mean, We've been relatively lucky in terms of sourcing our materials. Obviously, we use post-consumer recycled plastic, and uh, we used a small uh, supplier in, in uh, Minnesota, I believe, when we started off. And, uh, you know, they supplied us. This was before the pandemic, and we would order 10 sheets, and they would send them over, and we'd order another 10, and they would send them over, and that was fine. Um, and then all of a sudden, our sales started to go up uh, quite a good bit. And then we, we go to order some more. And obviously the pandemic has, has uh, put chokehold on all the supply chain. So they, they had no supply and we're in a scenario where we really had to start searching everywhere, all over the US to find post-consumer recycled plastic. And the thing that we found is difficult is the suppliers don't really want to deal with a small company like us. They're going to keep their main clients uh, supplied with the materials and, and people like us who are ordering, you know, 10, 20 sheets of recycled plastic, they, they don't even answer the phone. So it's been difficult. We've definitely had to some point slow down our our advertising and production because we just didn't have the materials to fulfill the orders. But thankfully, you know, we've been able to secure, you know, some good good supply of, of uh, HTP um, recently. And it, it looks like it's gonna hold us over for, you know, at least the next six months or so. And hopefully the supply chain will start opening back up in 2022. But I mean, your guess is as good as mine. I don't know how, how <laughs> if that's yeah. gonna be possible. Also, um... What it takes is a lot of phone calls, a lot of talking to people, seeing what they have. And what we found is that the lead times are getting longer. So we'd find a batch, but then they'd only sell it in bales. So it's kind of a scary moment where you have to procure a lot more material than you think you would ever need, just because that's the only available material that you can get. So there are instances where we had where we had to buy, um, you know, a couple of bales of um, 
Baltic birch plywood, even if we didn't have the orders. But we know that you know we're we're gonna end up using them for hook stuff as well as for our other company. We use Baltic birch all the time. You know, we kind of just pulled the trigger because you know they'll get in a bail, but then they won't know when the next one comes in. So it's kind of like a first come first serve basis. So we're just calling like all of our reps, seeing what they have in stock, seeing when stock comes in, and then even pre-purchasing um, some materials as well. So it's a lot of phone calls for sure. You have a very specific mindset when you are designing these pieces. And that is not only the, the design aspect and the functionality aspect, but the fact that they are made out of recycled materials. They are made in a sustainable way. And I'm sure with your supply chain, if you had decided to, to change that, that way you're approaching the materials and you decided just to go with non-sustainable materials, that it would have been a lot easier for you. But you, you didn't. You stayed with those core values that, that might have been detrimental to the growth of your business, but kept your business in the comfort zone that you, you were happy with. So for people who are, are making businesses that they really have core values for, what would you say to those people about sticking to your core principles, even though it can be hard at times? You're, you're right. Like it's, it's what's going to make a company or a brand uh, successful is if it is authentic and if it is unique. And I think that's something that I, I noticed uh, this weekend at ICFF because you're going into a furniture fair with some of the best furniture designers in the world. And, you know, you walk in the door and you see incredible piece after incredible piece and kind of look to Brian and I'm like, I hope people get what we're doing because we're producing, you know, a $500 desk that's made from plastic and plywood. Who are we to be uh, next to these incredible designers? And I think what's important to remember is that like, we're trying to create, as Brian said, an accessible utilitarian piece of furniture that's still beautiful. And like, those are our values. We want it to be sustainable. We want it to be affordable. We want it to be easy to use. And it was rewarding to see people's response to the product because it is authentic and it is, we, we have stuck to our guns and, and we've been authentic in what we started off uh, doing. And, and that was to create a, an easy to assemble, affordable, beautiful piece of furniture. And so I think advice to other entrepreneurs and furniture makers is, is exactly that, is, is to stick to your original principles because that's going to make you stand out from the crowd. We could obviously increase the price and change to you know, more exotic materials, but that's not in keeping with the brand mentality. And uh, you know, to see people's response over the weekend at ICFF for, for our $500 desk, next to you know a $5,000 marble desk, it was awesome to see that they understood what it was about and what the brand was about. Let's talk about the actual manufacturing. And I know that you are both old hands in the furniture industry, but this is a relatively new company and a relatively new product 
that you're putting out there. So keeping in mind that grain of salt, that it is a growing process and, and you are, this isn't your final result. You are growing, but let's talk about manufacturing because you're doing it all in-house, which for manufacturing is an impressive thing to do because there's a lot that goes into manufacturing something. Now you have a three to four week lead time on your pieces. But in this culture that we live in right now, where it's a very much buy now, ship next day mentality, how have you dealt with having that lead time? How have you dealt with having a product that people want, but they need to wait for it? One, how are you you ramping up your manufacturing? And two, how are you dealing with customers' expectations? To the, the lead time question, uh, I think like in the, you know, the current climate, three to four weeks is actually pretty good for a furniture brand. I think people understand that with the supply chain issues, um, they're a bit more understanding in, in terms of lead time. But you're right, you know, like Amazon Prime and all these other things, you can get a desk in like a day or two. And we, we have been in, in the situation in the past month or so where we had to increase lead times dramatically uh, while we we're waiting for material supply. And we definitely saw a, a big reduction in, uh, in sales. But thankfully, we're, we're back to that shorter lead time now. I think, I think the, the customer understands that like these are made to order pieces. You know, they're not made, you know, made in China with cheap materials. They're machined here in our shop to a high precision and they're hand finished. And, you know, there's there's bound to be a, a small lead time associated with that. So we're, we're aiming to reduce that lead time even more and get it down to one or two weeks or maybe even within the week. But again, like we, you know, that that kind of leads on to the manufacturing question and, and how we're, we're doing everything in house. Um, and that's, I think that's been the biggest learning curve for us because we have experience building one-off complex things, but now we're trying to learn the, the process of mass manufacturing and how do we get the best yield out of sheets and, um, you know, how do we set up that assembly line to, to be efficient and to produce things as quickly as possible? It's all about sharing your your story your brand story with the customer because like you said and like we all know you can go on to amazon and click buy now and get a desk two days but but some people want to have that that deeper connection with their furniture and your pieces aren't custom anymore but they still feel custom because of that that brand story that you've built. So what's the the magic? What have you sprinkled into your story to really have it resonate with the consumer to let them be okay with waiting for your lead times, waiting a little extra just to get something from you all that they want? I think it's kind of a blend of the times that we're in now, like all of these giant companies, 
you know, they're being exposed for, you know, not having great working conditions, the CEOs becoming 10 times richer during the pandemic while everyone else is suffering. And, you know, just these kinds of um, realizations that the public is is finally kind of coming to realization with, it kind of brings the, the consumer back to the more, not, not family, but like smaller companies that try to strive for environmental consciousness or worker culture and things like that. And for us too, like, you know, we try to show that we are just a small company, you know, based in Brooklyn. And, you know, everything is made here at the shop, produced and manufactured and shipped out. So, you know, you're not going to, you know, some huge company that has billions of dollars already. And for us, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, you are buying a, a piece of furniture that is what we think highly developed and highly considered direct to consumer. But it is kind of like a semi custom made table. So it is like a custom made furniture piece that you're buying. You know, we're just trying to, you know, get it to you quicker um, through our manufacturing means. So. Yeah, I think Brian's right. Like um, the the consumer knows when when they're coming to somebody like us or a company like us that they're supporting local, locally sourced, locally made, locally designed. Um, and you know, for us, we wanted to communicate that story on social media and through our Kickstarter campaign, so people know what's behind the brand and and who they're buying into. And I think a funny thing for us is. Our warehouse and workshop is out on a pier in, you know, Red Hook in Brooklyn, in New York. And directly across from us is this gigantic IKEA store. Mm -hmm. So we have it there as a constant reminder, uh, you know, every time we look out the window <laughs> of who, mm -hmm. we're, who our, uh, our competition is, you mm -hmm. know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, th I think the consumer knows that, too. And I think it's about the people behind the brand, like Connor was saying. Um, so on social, um, you know, YouTube videos, our vlogs, we really try to communicate that it's real people, you know, making your furniture, uh, real hands-on process. There are faces behind the brand that the consumer can kind of relate to and, you know, see that they're not kind of just giving money to like, uh, you know, giant corporation. It's an impressive product that you all are putting out. That's the reason I'm having you on this show, because I think it is a well-made product with a great story behind it. And that's... Well, thank you very much. <laughs> well, as somebody who's already bought into your message, I understand what you're doing. I understand what you're putting out there and I understand why you're doing it. But you're competing with giant companies in this sort of flat pack, ready to ship, easily assembled furniture market it's a great mental picture you in your shop putting together your first desk being like i wonder if this is going to be good looking across the water at ikea they've probably thrown out more desks in that day than you <laughs> built so how are you getting your name out there because you, you can have the most amazing story out there, but if nobody's hearing it, then 
it means nothing. So how have you been yeah. been promoting yourself to get to the level that that you are now? You know, I think what really gave us a, a huge head start was the Kickstarter campaign. We, we've been super lucky with, we have a great friend in Ben Ueda. He's a, you know, a, a YouTube uh, maker, Instagram maker. He's very famous in the maker community. I'm sure, I'm sure you met him. And he, uh, I, you know, helped us out with the Kickstarter campaign. You know, we basically, I remember we, we kind of developed this product and we made the coffee table and I, I sent him a video and I was like, check this out. Like, this is pretty cool. And he is like, oh man, like we need to, we need to do a Kickstarter campaign. And the purpose of the campaign was not really to create any money or funds necessarily, because, you know, we, we didn't have any goals to produce a, a huge amount of these. And, you know, we already had our business, so I'm sure we could afford, you know, a few pallets of material here and there to make it, but it was really a marketing campaign to tell our story. And it was incredibly successful in, in that sense. You know, it was a good campaign. We, we had a good crowdsourcing. We created a good amount of money that, that helped us. But in reality, it was able to spread the, the hook story and the brand in the design community in that, in that maker world. And that's really uh, why we did it. And, and, and that's how we got our initially got our name out there and got people uh, focused on what we were doing. Now, you've mentioned a lot about the people behind the brand and you are both the the two pillars of this but there are employees there are people who are making it happen with their own hands because it is made in-house i know that you were able to scale to 10 plus employees with your other company and and it was a relatively easy transition to bring those employees with you in this new journey. But having a 10 plus person furniture shop is is a relatively large shop. When you're in that 10 plus range, yes, you're not in the, the major manufacturing, but you're a good medium sized company. And being that size comes with a lot more of the business part of the furniture business. It comes with managing people. It comes with paperwork. It comes with all the office work that that follows having all those employees. So how have you dealt with employees as you scaled over the years? And how have you found the best way to make everybody work cohesively? For us, really, it's about the, the work culture at our shop. So when we do, um, you know, try to find new people to work for us, we're not really looking only at their credentials, but also how they vibe with the other employees that are currently here. You know, they have to have a certain mentality, a, a, a certain attitude, um, and a certain drive, a self-drive that kind of, you know, compels them to, you know, strive further than a normal employee just looking for that paycheck would. So yeah, I think as we grow, we're just kind of, yeah, learning on the fly. And I think what's helped us a lot is that we do have, you know, a lot of friends that have businesses that are even bigger that we can ask for advice. And, you know, I won't be afraid to, to ask, you know, go out and reach out to, to my friends and family to ask for some help on how to do this or how to do that. And, 
you know, we have uh, certain advisors in place that, you know, let us know how we're doing and, you know, what we need to do and what to look out for. So we were pretty lucky in that regard that we have, you know, such a great support structure around us. Yeah, and as as the company has grown over, well, I mean, as A5 Studio has grown, it's been interesting to see how our roles have changed. Uh, you know, I was thinking back to, you know, a couple of years ago when A5 was, was really moving along nicely and we were getting bigger contracts, but it was very much one contract to the next. And, you know, that was a super fun time because we would be called to go to... Tulsa, Oklahoma to create this like crazy 50 foot walnut bench and like the whole team would go over there and that's what we would do for like four weeks and you had no other worries than like make this project uh, you know as best as you can and then you come back and we'd hopefully string another contract on the line and go to the next one and now particularly with Hook which has become its own thing uh, we're you know it's it's much more as you already pointed out management paperwork to manage the team and split everyone's time onto the different projects and onto hook uh effectively and that's definitely something that we're we're learning and i think we we hope to improve upon a lot in in 2022 i think we need to get the correct people in the correct role so this brand can really grow to the potential that it has and you know uh, I think I think it will. I think it's going to be an exciting 2022 for sure. It's amazing how as you climb the ladder of success, as you get to each and every rung of the ladder and you think I've mastered this step and I've mastered this plateau and I I'm I'm moving up and, and that's what success looks like. And then you get to another level and you realize <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> doing here this is not this is not the success that i signed up for i thought this was going to be over and and when you get to that next level as you as you eloquently said you have people to talk to about this you recognize that you don't have to reinvent the wheel every single time there are people who have been there before and those people can help you to get to where you need to be because it's easy to think you're all alone and you have to do it all by yourself not saying that people haven't reached success being an island onto themselves but it makes a lot more business sense to talk to people who have been there and to learn from those experiences and and their path might not be the one you take but to hear different ideas from different people gets you in the right mindset to tackle the next level of success. Like if we look back at the the past year when we started a Kickstarter, you know, in October of last year and, and to where we are today, like just having finished up ICFF for the first time, um, I think you create a, a great point in that there's been so many people that have helped us get to where we are right now and it's still a baby you know we're not saying this is a huge company but it's it's been from the kickstarter you know uh everyone reaching out to all of their friends to kind of drum up that email list you know it's the the help of ben you know reaching out to all everyone on social media it's the help of our wives like reaching out to all their networks and friends and and everyone in the shop doing the same 
And so it really is a team effort. And, you know, that goes that goes for, you know, sharing your ideas as well as, you know, putting them out there and getting feedback and help from people will really just ignite uh, those initial ideas or that that small business idea that you have. It, it No one is going to do it by themselves. It's, it's always a team effort. And, and the more people you can enlist onto your team, you know, the better and more successful you're going to be. You talk humbly about your company and and I understand that because it is still growing in your eyes and it's not where you maybe want it to be in your 10 year plan, but it is an impressive company as it is right now. And with that aside, behind it, you already had a successful furniture company that you were running and continue to run. So running two successful furniture companies is a big deal. And it puts you in that position of having success in this industry. And there are people who are looking to jump into the furniture world. They're looking to jump into the custom world, or they have a product or a collection that they're looking to bring to market. So what type of advice would you have for people who are looking to get into this like you did when you first started out and at the same time there are people who have been doing this for a while they have had their company they have reached some of these levels of success but they they see this ladder and they want to keep climbing so with your new business with your already established business What's some advice that you could give to people listening who want to follow in your footsteps of success? I think what we've always um, been pretty good at is designing and building things and sharing it and showing people the passion behind what we do. And I think people really connect with, with other people's stories and authentic, passionate stories. So, you know, both Brian and I have always been super interested in fabricating and making furniture and we just put it out there and, you know, for, for the world to see. And, and more often than not, you know, people reach out and, and help you. And, you know, one thing leads to another. So I would say share what you're passionate about and tell your story. And, you know, good things tend to happen from there. Uh, yeah, I would say uh, don't be afraid to take that leap. Um, we're always striving to look for the next thing to to move us forward whether it be you know a five hour uh you know more custom installation company or hook we're always striving to go further um and i don't think we're really um you know we're we're cautious right but i don't think we're we're afraid to take that leap um to see to see where we can go the most important thing for me really is, is to reach out to people that you may know for help, I think a lot of people they're kind of a little maybe restricted um, or or reserved. I guess you know they don't want to ask for help or you know they want they don't want to admit their weaknesses um, or where they're weak at. But I would say if there is someone that can help you, ask them for help. Build up that support structure. I think the support structure is, is probably one of the main things that that's helped us you know come as far as we've we've come so far. Yeah, I think people people want to help other people. 
Um, you know, they if they can see that somebody's passionate about something and, and they're in a position of power, so to speak, more often than not, they'll want to help. Um, you just have to ask for that help. And, and, you know, I think we've been super lucky with, with help from people in the design world and business, just friends and family network. You know, looking back, it, it's, uh, it's been one lucky hit after another, yeah. you know? Uh, and it's only because we're out there sharing our story and what we're passionate about and, and open to help and, and advice from people. Mm -hmm. And I think I, uh, another thing would be uh, just to be genuine, I guess you know, sharing your passion with other people. I, I, I think that people are pretty good at, you know, judging whether or not or, or getting a sense of whether or not the people are, are genuine. So I think Connor and I, if you boil it down, we have a genuine passion for making things, making designs and, you know, just just being within this this community. People want to help other people and you both have helped a lot of people by sitting down with me today and telling your story and talking about the ins and outs of your business and how you've got it to where it is today. So I, I just want to say thank you for both of you talking with me and sharing your knowledge and your successes and your failures. And it's very much appreciated for everybody listening. Yo, it's been super fun chatting to you and, and thank you very much for having us on. Yeah, thank you. Now go back to uh, looking at Ikea across the water and, and <laughs> with, with your target on the window and, and you're coming for them. You're coming for them. <laughs> Here we'll we come. See. We'll see. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you like to listen. To learn more about the show, you can visit buildingafurniturebrand.com. And feel free to reach out anytime to say hey, ask a question, or suggest a guest for future episodes. Our email is hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can follow along with me on Instagram at thebuildwithethan, and I can't wait to bring you the next episode. This show is produced and edited by me, Ethan Abramson. Hope you enjoyed, and thanks so much for listening. The Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Amundsen podcast is proudly part of the Woodpreneur Network, the media network and community for wood entrepreneurs. Check out woodpreneurlife.com for more information.